what we had read today was the great commandment and the great commission, all right? And uh, that's gonna be kind of the, the foundation we're gonna work from. And it, it's an interesting place to start because of what we're about to talk about, all right? But just remembering that no matter where you're at in your life, that, that God has created you in such a way where your heart will come most alive when you obey the greatest command he's ever given, which is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then to keep in mind that that love never comes here and stops here, but that it always goes outward with the great commission of go and make disciples. Man, if you've seen and you've heard and you've tasted and you've felt the goodness of God, go to the nations. Make disciples. May the goodness and the character and the grace and the love and the power and the authority and the fire of the gospel of Jesus never stay within you, but will you take it beyond yourself and bring others into the fold, telling them, testifying of the goodness of who Jesus is. And this is for all of us. Like, this is what I believe, that, that it, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, however much belief you're bringing into this place, whatever your status in life is, these two things are crucial to this life on earth, and they will pay eternal dividends. If we live a life where we love God with all of us, we love our neighbor as ourselves, we make disciples. That's a life worth living, and that will pay off for all of eternity, all right? And the reason I wanna start there is because we're about to talk about something that might not feel super related, but I think it's actually super, super related. We're talking about singleness and marriage today, all right? Kind of out of left field, like how did we get there from that? But you'll see, all right, we're gonna talk about it. And I wanna start off with a story, all right? I've told this before, I'd give it about a six out of 10 in terms of how good the story is, but it's worth it because it's pertinent, all right, to, the, to what I'm trying to say today. So there was this moment like five or six years ago where I was sitting with some homies late night, like 11, 11.30 p.m., and I'm on the computer and Facebook was still a thing that wasn't just relegated to my parents. So I was on Facebook and I was uh, shooting some DMs to this girl, all right? Now this girl, yeah. <laughs> Leah is actually out sick today. If she was here, she would have punched all of you. Um, that's, yeah, that's my fiance, to be clear, not just some random person I'm talking about. Um, this person that you don't know would have hit you. Um, no. So uh, I hit this girl up, and uh, I actually hadn't seen this girl since like fifth grade, but as she grew older, she became beautiful. And now that I'm engaged to Leah, I think this girl is like, Ugh, but at the time, at the time, right? And so hitting her up, talking to her, and uh, my friend was like, dude, Dude, if she's like hitting you up and you think she's cute, we should like go see her. Like, let's go see her. Few problems with that scenario, okay? First of all, um, I hadn't seen her in like 15 years. Uh, second of all, it was 11.30 p.m. at night. Uh, third of all, she was in Virginia and I was in Nashville, right? But what do you know? I'm a sophomore, I'm irresponsible, let's do some things. So I let her know, I'm like, hey, as crazy as this is, I'm gonna be in Virginia tomorrow. If I'm there, if you have free time, would you want to hang? She responds, absolutely. Looked at my homies. I looked at my, I looked at my guys and was like, we're going to Virginia right now. <laughs> like, right now. So we leave at 1130. We stop at some rest area at like 3 or 4 a.m. I'm getting sick immediately, kind of like last week. Yeah, I'm like coming down with some like nasty symptoms. I'm wearing this like purple V-neck Ralph Lauren sweater. It was atrocious. It was heavy. It was a lot to process. But here I am doing all these things. We go see this girl on Saturday. We drive all through the night. We go to Cracker Barrel, get bottomless coffee, just the best coffee you can ask for from Cracker Barrel. Then we go and see this girl. And because my wingmen were funnier than me, annoyingly funnier than me, they kind of stole the show because I had no game. Nothing happens of this situation. I see her. It's kind of weird. We laugh a lot because of my guy stealing all the attention, being funny. I come back home. 
send her a text, awkward silence, we're done. So this doesn't work out, all right? But I tried. Why at 11.30 p.m. on a Friday night did it sound like a good idea to drive to Virginia to see a girl I hadn't seen since the fifth grade and I'd only had sent a few DMs to? Like, why was this a good idea? The reason why is because it fit a narrative that we've all felt and experienced for all of our lives. This is how it's supposed to go. Man, she walked in the room, she did the hair flip, and I knew, soulmate, that's her. Or, man, my grandkids, you're not gonna believe this, I drove all across the country to meet your grandma. Like, that's how it's supposed to go, right? Like, Simba gets Nala. It's just how it works, despite the odds. Beauty somehow gets the beast. Like, what were the odds of that? But it works out, right? Like, Woody ends up with Bo Peep, I'm pretty sure. They, they kiss a lot at the end of the first one, right? Like, one of my favorite movies growing up was Sweet Home Alabama. And uh, Reese Witherspoon looks at that, what's his name, and is like, why would you want to date a girl like me? And what's he say back? It's beautiful, so I can kiss you whenever I want. I want a girl that I can look at when she asks, why would you want to marry me? So I can kiss you whenever I want. Like, that's how it's supposed to go, right? That's supposed to be the narrative. We're all aware of this. This isn't just from Hollywood, right? This is in books, poetry, songs. It's everywhere. From the beginning of my life, at least, I grew up in Mayfield, Kentucky, and in kind of the south, the south portion of America, so I don't know where, I can't speak for all of the United States, but for me, I was trained to understand there is a person who completes me. There is a person that will satisfy me. There is a person that represents my next step in life. It's just a thing that happens, right? I don't think that's from Scripture. I don't think that's like from God. I, I, I think we've, we've kind of misunderstood the significance of that other person. And I don't think all that came from Scripture. I think, I think Hollywood has, has shaped some of that. And so I want to take some time telling you a little bit about my journey with singleness, with marriage, and I'm engaged, and I'm six days away from being married, so I'm not quite single, not quite married, so I'm either the best person to talk about this because I'm neither, or I'm the literal worst person to talk about this because I'm neither, but I have a, a story with this that God has like put a passion on my heart to talk to people about healthy ways to hold, to steward our singleness, our dating, our marriage. I want to talk about that for a little bit, and you might be asking, we started this for the city uh, series, and like, what does this have to do with that? But I found, especially as a pastor here, that a lot of us are wrestling with singleness, with newlyweds, marriage, and we're asking a lot of questions. And, and oftentimes they are, they're maybe not hindering, but they're causing us to wrestle with how do we live in the kingdom with these, this kind of heaviness? Like, I talked to a lot of people who are like, when's that person coming for me? How, how do I, literally, how do I function as a single person, I'm, I'm kind of playing this waiting game, and God has used my story and just, just kind of my work here to like just develop this passion to me. To like, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we steward our singleness, our dating, our marriage. And so we're going to talk about that today. That sounds good to you guys. Um, well, no, we're going to talk about that today. Um, <laughs> it's going to happen. So uh, a few people I want to I want to reference um, just to say like shout out to them. They help they help cultivate this in me. Um, John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York City. Um, he has a conversation about singleness. He's on a podcast. Amazing, amazing. Helped me a lot. Um, Jana Ogg, she's our missions coordinator here at Ethos, and she also helps train church planners um, for Onward, like P.S. and J. Shree, who are coming. Like, Jana talks with them very often. She's single, 
And uh, shout out Jana. Hey, she's single. Um, no, uh, but she's single and just has a passion for coming alive in God and, and not being tied to this narrative that you need someone. And, and she's really helped me develop this conversation. And then uh, Francis and uh, Lisa Chan. Um, so a lot of you probably heard of uh, Francis Chan, but uh, he and his wife Lisa give a lot of really good conversations. They've written books about what kingdom marriage looks like. So I just wanna shout them out. This is a sermon coming from some of my own experience and intellect, but a lot of it has just been given to me by wise people that I trust, okay? So let's talk about it. And I wanted to preface with uh, the great commandments and the great commission to remember, like wherever we're at, that's, that's where we wanna anchor ourselves as followers of Jesus. So let's talk about the you complete me narrative, all right? The you complete me narrative. If you're taking notes, I'm gonna reference a few different scriptures. I would just encourage you to write those down. I think they're gonna be helpful as you, as you continue on. But I haven't ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, but I have seen an episode for, or, or a clip from that movie that I think all of us would recognize where Tom Cruise, if you don't know the context, Tom Cruise is being a little intense and kind of weird. He's like sitting kind of shaky with tears in his eyes and he's looking at this like blonde haired girl and he's like, you complete me. And it's like, oh, that is like intense. Like, whoa, I don't know what y'all were talking about before this, but like you're a big deal to Tom Cruise, whoever, whatever you've done. It's not even like a subtle narrative that Hollywood's feeding us. Tom Cruise just blatantly said, you person right there, complete me. And whether you have bought into that narrative like wholeheartedly going, there is another human and I am a puzzle and that human is the missing puzzle piece to complete this thing. And so I've got to find them before my life is complete or maybe it's in more subtle ways, but I found in my own life that narratives had formed me to believe there really was someone out there that completed me, that total Tom Cruise style, like I'm looking for someone to complete me. And this didn't just come from Hollywood, right? This came from church experience for me. I don't know about you guys, but growing up in church, you know, in seventh grade, you're passing notes to a girl and you're already praying like, God, if this is the girl I'm gonna step into covenant with, like, just let me know. Like, is it yes or no? Like, just, I, I wanna lay my life down for this chick. Like, I, I don't know a whole lot about her, but she's cute and I think she's into me if this is her, right? Like, I remember my grandpa, every time I'd come home, I don't know if you have family like this, every time I'd come home, who are you dating? When are you gonna get married? <laughs> my grandpa, until you said that, I didn't realize I needed that. Like, and now I know again. Like, I, I worked hard to ignore that, right? Like, in their house, right now, there is this picture frame that holds four pictures, the first is a picture of my grandparents getting married. The next is a picture of my parents getting married. The third is a picture of my sister getting married. The fourth is empty. <laughs> empty. Not even a selfie. Like, they, could, they have thousands of photos of me. They couldn't just put one in there to be like, Josh, you're good. You don't got to feel this. It's just you and that's fine, right? No, like... It's been fed everywhere. And so I've been like kind of trained to believe from the church, from family, from everywhere that, man, I gotta find this person. I want to tell you a little bit about my story because, you know, the, the, the trajectory of my life, as I understood it, was that, you know, you get through high school and then you go to college and you go to this like weird aquarium of people where it's like everyone is like around 20 is walking in that single angst and looking for the person. And so you just assume, man, you put me in a campus with three to 5,000 people around my age and half of them being female, I'm gonna come out that thing okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna find that person, it's gonna work out, right? But as I went through Belmont, somehow I had a weird accomplishment of coming out of, of, of the college setting single. And I found myself being like, that is really quite interesting. 
that I, that I manage singleness, uh, almost against the odds. Uh, it's a real Cinderella story in reverse. Like, just, just like didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But then I was interning at Ethos like five years ago. And Ethos at this time, it's, it's still like 50-50, but at this time it was like 70% college students. And so here I am at the cannery on the mic, probably two Sundays a month doing the welcome and saying, hey, welcome to Ethos. And I'm thinking to myself, man, here I am. I got a mic. I'm in front of all these Christian women. Like I could not be in a better spot. I couldn't have planned this any better. Hey, welcome to Ethos. How y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? All right, my name's Joshua. I'm 25. I like to play basketball, sit around a bonfire. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But here I am at Ethos thinking, I'm now in the spot. I found the place. If Belmont didn't work, I'm in the spot. And yet still, years and years, like years and years, like three years, all right? But go by, and I'm still single. And I'm like, man, even if I'm like, if, if I'm uglier than I even think I am, this should not work out this way. Like, no matter what it is, like what? Is going on. And, and I found myself in my journey with God to really bring this home to where like God birthed the passion in me around this conversation. I remember I was like, I was uh, listening to someone teach and I remember God putting this on my heart so specifically. He said, Joshua, because of the narratives, and this isn't like verbatim, right? I didn't like hear a voice, but I've sensed this in my heart. Joshua, you've, you've picked up these narratives and you've been looking for someone so hard that without knowing it, it's been subtle, you have attached the necessity for a spouse to your devotion to me. Like at somewhere along the way, you made it a requirement that you find that person that I hold up my promise that I never made you before you can go any deeper with me. I found that my prayer life, that my search for someone, I found that I had put some contingencies on God. Like God, I'm waiting for that person. I I can't go much further. Like, I don't want to say yes to too many like bold, adventurous things because what if my person is, if I miss a Sunday and I go do this thing, what if she shows up that day? And I found that this narrative had really begun to shape how I walked with God. And, and I, I can't really explain this in a way that maybe makes a ton of sense, but I just knew in my heart that God was asking me to tell him, I don't have to be married to love you with all of my life. I do not have to get married. That person never has to show up for me to give you my heart, my soul, my strength. I heard that as the instruction. I'm not saying I lived into that instantly, right? I wrestled with this for a few weeks. I mean, like knowing this in the back of my brain that that needs to be my prayer. And so instead I just didn't pray, right? I was just like, you know what? Let's just time out on prayer life. I'll get to that in a little bit, right? I just wrestled with that. And I remember this moment in, in my room and uh, if I remember right, I was, I was crying. Like, I was pretty shaken up because I just felt like deep in my heart. God was like, the next step with me is to tell me that you, you don't need anything but me. And that's good enough. And I remember like telling God, all right, let's stretch this out. Get ready for this. All right, God, here we go. Here we go. Give me three more seconds. Here we go. <laughs> I remember finally saying, like, I, I, okay, I don't have to be married. I no one completes me but you. I don't have to find that to love you with all my heart. I don't. And for some of us that aren't wrestling with this, you're like, that's, okay, congrats. Like, that was pretty dramatic, right? But some of you go, no, I relate to that. I relate to that. I know what it's like to think that someone's gonna complete me. I know what it's like to be just constantly searching and scrolling, trying to find the person that is gonna complete my narrative. And, and you can imagine how hard it was to go, God, if they never show up, if this person that you never promised me never shows up, I'm good. 
you have got me. You will take care of me. And what this birthed in me was a passion of mine because that next year, this may sound so dorky, but I had the best worship, the best prayer. Man, I was discipling people for real. I started a house church. Like, all this stuff happened because, like, God was almost teaching me, like, the spiritual spontaneity that could come when you had just abandoned all your expectations of God that he never put on himself. Like, I started like, it sounds so cheesy maybe, maybe it doesn't, but I started like creatively thinking spiritually. Like, God, what could you have for me? What can I start? Who can I love? Who can I text? Put some on my heart. And I was, just, I was just reckless. I was just loving life. Like, right before bed, I was like, God, like, thank you for today. Man, what a great day. Man, who do you have for me? Like, thank you for all these things. I was noticing things I didn't notice before, and it just like birthed this passion in me. And, and it came through struggle, right? It came through over and over again, telling God and reminding myself, I don't need anything but you. And that's hard to believe, all right? But it birthed this passion in me. So I wanna talk a little bit about what I learned from my own experience, from having a narrative that's, I don't think, true, holds such a high place in my heart. Some of the, the, the bad things that come from that, some of the unhealthy things that can be birthed out of that, and some things that I've learned just from walking with others, kind of walking in these waters of how to steward relationship, how to trust God in the midst of being married and thinking like, oh, this didn't go like I thought it would, or being single and being like, when's that thing gonna finally happen? And so I just wanna talk about a few things that I think can happen when we hold that you complete me narrative near and dear to our hearts. Um, just, just some, maybe some warnings, some like, hey, just look out for these things. Like, um, I'm not like demonizing the desire to date someone. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, I just wanna share some things. So here's like eight things, okay? And I'm not gonna like um, go too hard on any of these, but I wanna just say them. So a few things that I experienced and saw as I was like desperate for that relationship, for that you complete me narrative to happen in my life. Um, one, I've already mentioned, um, I put conditions on my relationship with God, right? Um, there was this idea that there's only so far I can go with you, Lord. There's just things I'm gonna say no to because I don't wanna miss out on this person. Like, if I leave Nashville for six months, I like to go somewhere temporarily just because I hear you calling me to do that, there's no marriage happening there. I just don't think it, that the variable doesn't look good, so I need to stay put. Like, there's, just this, there's this idea that I could only go so far with God. So there was conditions on my relationship with God. Maybe you relate to that. Number two, um, in my head you're writing this down, but you don't have to, but just maybe remember them. Um, number two, um, there's something wrong with me, right? Like, any lack, when, when, when the goal of life is to find that person and it's not happening, you're like, what is going on? Like, what's wrong? Because if I get through Belmont unscathed and then ethos, like so, uh, something is wrong, <laughs> like with me. Unless God is just like manipulating me super crazy, right? It's, it's me. And you can easily just see yourself through the wrong lens. And number three, that's what builds insecurity and shame. That could be the same point. But insecurity and shame gets built in this, right? Like you start thinking like, man, if I was taller, I do talk kind of fast. My head's shaped weird. Like, Hey, hey, is that true? <laughs> um, but it's so funny. It's so funny, though, what happens, though. You, you start questioning things, and you really do do it. Like, you're like, what is it, right? And I'm not, like, saying, hey, don't, like, improve yourself. Like, if you need to be healthier, be healthier. Great, exercise, great, do those things. But it's crazy how when you have a, a false understanding of your being incomplete, you start looking at yourself and, 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 and almost critiquing things that potentially God birthed in you and wants to see those things thrive. God's like, I know you talk fast. That's how you externally process. Keep going. You're okay, right? 
but I'm like, man, like, is, that, is, that, is that a problem? Am, am I not doing it right? Like, do I not have any game? And you start looking at things that are so weird and they build up this insecurity and shame and you don't like who you are anymore, all because you're seeing through this lens. Number four, God no longer had the right in naming who I was. You know that scripture boasts about who you are? Irrelevant is your relationship status. Scripture boasts that you are a co-heir, that you're seated in the heavenly realms, that you're washed, justified, and sanctified, like 1 Corinthians 12, that you are spiritually gifted uniquely and that you are a gift, Ephesians 4, to the body, that you, as you are right now, you are a gift to humanity, to the church. But man, when you're seeing through this lens of why am I not this thing, why is this puzzle piece not coming, God doesn't get it right anymore. No longer are you this beautiful son or daughter of God. No longer are you redeemed and like belonging to the, like the king of kings, like welcomes you into his kingdom with open arms over and over and over again. Now you're just someone who can't find the someone. And God no longer has a right to say things to you and name who you are. That's powerful. Number five, I no longer had the desire to listen to God giving me instruction. My obedience just kind of tanked. I wasn't necessarily being like super disobedient and dark, but I just, I wasn't looking for a whole lot of obedience on my side of things. I was looking for something very specific. Number six, this is, this is idolatry, right? It ends up leading to idolatry. And idolatry is nothing more than good desires trumping the most important desire. Like, there can be good things, noble things that you're looking for, but when it becomes more important than your walk with God, that's what an idol is. And God says, hey, no, like, not okay with that. And so I found that in my search, my desire for relationship trumped my desire for God and it therefore became an idol. Um, so it's pretty crazy. Number seven, it prevents me from seeing God's work outside of the single issue. It prevented me from seeing God working outside of this single issue. So if you just picture like a, a white poster board as big as this wall, and then I just put a quarter size red dot right here, all of you go, and there it is. There's that red dot. And you miss 99% of the wall, right? That's kind of how it works. And sometimes when we're wrestling with something like singleness and relationship and who's the person and how's the person gonna, how's it gonna go, it can prevent us from seeing all other things. Just picture yourself on a beach by a palm tree, but you're standing one centimeter away from the palm tree, so all you see is tree bark. You might be in a backyard, you might be in the woods somewhere, you might be, but who knows? All you can see is this. Like Sometimes that can happen when we get so focused on our relationship status, so obsessed with this, we can miss it. Like God has all this opportunity. You have a city of Nashville full of people, needs, friends, potential friends, all this opportunity, but because this thing is so near and dear to your heart, it's, it's making it hard to see the open doors God's put in your life, the things he's put before you that you can flourish and find life, but it's hard, right? And this is what I found in my own life. Number eight, it can lead to addiction. We can cope with stuff like this in so many ways, but when there's deep insecurity and anxiety because of something that may hold too high of a place in our hearts, addiction can be a result. Um, like we can just keep scrolling and comparing ourselves to every situation. Let me just say this. The internet is so weird. And it's weird because it feels so normal, but the internet was one of the most giant shifts in humanity. Like, I can't reference who the scientists are, but I know that scientists have said that, right? <laughs> I've heard smart people reference scientists that have said that, right? The internet is so insane. It has given us access to people in the weirdest of ways, and it has made it very easy to compare your life with the top-notch highlights of everybody else. And it's created this weird place in our lives. And as I'm talking to people, the more I talk and walk with people, 
the insecurities and the brokenness and the fear that I'm hearing, I'm like, some of this I don't think existed 30 years ago, right? There's something about the comparison we're in, the waters we're in, the weird kind of community we find ourselves in that's birthing a lot of weird things. And so a lot of times with this issue specifically, I found myself escaping to Netflix, watching seemingly harmless shows that aren't vulgar, but that still push narratives that aren't from God. Like, and they form me, but that's my escape method. But in my escape method, I'm being discipled by something not God. Like I'm being discipled by something else, right? Not Jesus, not his ways. And, and I'm not like wanting to say like the internet's dark and bad, like let's get out of that and just ignore how the world functions, right? I'm not saying that, but I am saying be careful as we cope with things that are breaking our hearts, as we're longing for things, we can cope in some really unhealthy ways and just be careful how we steward our scrolling and our comparing to other people's lives. I don't think it's helpful. I really don't think it's helpful. Other ways, man, we can, we can reduce um, relationship to pornography. Uh, that, is, that is, you talk about one of the most toxic, like from a secular standpoint, disturbing, uh, like just terrible outlets for humanity the accessibility to like a false version of sexual intimacy and pornography. But because we're single and we're anxious and we want it, we long for something, we can accidentally slip into something else that's gonna harm us, it's gonna hurt us in the long run, but it, it brings some weird version of relief in the short term. We'll fall into a hookup culture since we can't find that person that we can date for a long time and eventually marry and it all works out. Like we're like, well, I'll get as much of it as I can. Like as much as I can pinch off, I will. And and we'll fall into hookup culture. And it just, it never satisfies fully, but it always sounds a little bit better than just being single. I mean, it can feel that way. And it can get really dark here. I, and we're getting like real talk right now, right? But it's just things I've seen in people, things I've seen in my friends that I love, like wrestling with how does this work. But I wanna take a moment to talk about what scripture says. Let's just, let's just take a second to look at what the word says about singleness, okay? The Bible affirms singleness all the way. In fact, to throw a little bit of an L on myself as I'm getting married, the Bible encourages singleness, as crazy as that is. Jesus and Paul, if I told you, hey, name two people in the Bible, first two that come to your mind. A lot of us, we go Jesus, I'm just assuming. <laughs> I don't know that to be true, I'm assuming. And a lot of us would go Paul second. Those two people, the greatest missionaries to ever live, in that order, Jesus, Paul, right, obviously, they were single people. They were single people in a culture where your identity was wrapped up in family, like having a spouse, having descendants, owning land. That was what got you back. Like, that was the motto. That's what you did. That's how it worked. And yet Jesus and Paul in this culture not only live a single life, which is one thing, they both encourage it. They both speak to its benefits, all right? I'm gonna point you to a passage of scripture. Hold on. I'm gonna point you to a passage of scripture. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, Paul's gonna say this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. Paul says, as a single person in a culture where marriage was the expectation, he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Paul says it's a gift. It is a gift to have tunnel vision on the kingdom of God and all the things God has for you. It's a gift to be able to focus on the Lord. And he's not demonizing marriage, but he goes, hey, when you're married, it doesn't, 
you have to work to make it easy to serve God together. But when you're not married, man, it's, a, it's just easier. It's just easier to go deep with the Lord. And depending on where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, that either sounds super appetizing or super boring. But Paul goes, look, if you love God and you want more of God, if you are single, you are at an advantage. And I would encourage it. He's saying that as a single man in a culture of marriage. He's, I'm just assuming he wrestled with the same, he potentially had some like third cousin version of wrestling with the same things that we wrestle with. I think Hollywood has really thrown this in in a more aggressive direction in finding the person. But I do believe Paul had to, to wrestle with that, with those longings. And yet he says, man, in my experience, I would encourage you, if you can be single and be fully devoted to God, tunnel vision, it's better for you. It's good for you. This is Paul talking. Matthew 19, Jesus is going to be talking to his disciples And he's gonna say that if someone has it in them, spiritually speaking, all right, to choose to live a life of a eunuch, he should do so. If someone has it in them to live a life being single, he should do that. This would have been otherworldly to hear when Jesus says that, all right? This is not the thing you hear at weddings, right? Like you hear about Adam and Eve and Jesus in the church and how good good marriage is. No one's like, well, Matthew 19 says, you guys kind of settle for plan B. Like, you chose to get married. All right, we'll just do this anyway, right? Like, no one's gonna quote this, but the same Jesus, and marriage is not a plan B. I don't, I'm not throwing shade, but you know, I'm getting married. I'm pro-marriage, okay? But when, when Jesus says this, this would have been just like groundbreaking. Like, Jesus knew better than anyone. He was in a culture. It was all about you find the person, you have kids, hopefully, like, a lot of kids, a lot of land. Like, that's where you find your identity. And Jesus says, no, if you can live the life of a single person, man, it it is an advantage to you. He's not just saying it's permissible, okay? He's not just saying, hey, you're okay. Hey, you're loved too. You're not a also. You're advantageous in the kingdom, and look no further than Jesus' own actions, right? Living the life of a single person. I think this is really, really important. So in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul's gonna say, it is a gift of God to be single and to be married. They're equal. You cannot distinguish the quality of their gift. The gift looks different, right? But they're equal in gifting. We live in a culture that we wouldn't agree with that, right? We'd go, no, like second place trophy, participation trophy is single, right? The real prize is finding the person, right? That's how it kind of works, or it can work that way. But Paul goes, no, no, that is not true. These gifts are equal. So you see this former narrative of get married, have a family, own land. That's how you prosper to this new narrative of spiritual children, a new birth in Jesus, the kingdom of God, eternal fruit. And this was not just true then. This is true now. This is true, that you are not evaluated that your value does not increase or decrease because someone else is or isn't in your life. It's just not true. Like, and all the cultural currents, whether from church or Hollywood, wherever it at, is telling you that that could be, that is like the furthest thing from the truth, right? Like your happiness is contingent on finding a person. And if not just one person forever, a lot of people over a span of time, right? But scripture comes, scripture comes in and says, no, like, man, you are like, washed, justified, sanctified, like you are a child of God, uniquely gifted to come alive in him. And it also says that the single life is advantageous. This is a time of life to take advantage of. This is hard to hear, but it's real. This is a great time in your life. If you are single, I'm trying to name a few things that you have an advantage on, that you can just dominate right now. 
Number one, you can figure out what you believe. That is a cool thing. You can deep dive, you can geek out, you're not checking with anybody else. Like, your calendar is your own and you can go for it with the Lord. You can make disciples. Depending on how sold you are on like loving God and making disciples, that sounds a certain way to you. But if you believe in Jesus and believe that the purpose of this world is to know God, it is great news to know that if you are single, you have the advantage of making disciples for Jesus. You can love people. You can build such a strong intimacy with God, such a strong intimacy. And the, the question is just, can you see that? Um, are you in a place where you can admit and acknowledge like, that God actually might have you in a place of favor when you've been feeling like you've been like, almost discriminated against as a single person? Like, what about me? What about me? And God's like, what about you? I put you in a great spot. Hard to hear, but it's real. But in all of this, I'm not demonizing the desire God has given us some desire. I've heard people call it, calling it uh, like callings. I think we can overplay that word, especially with marriage and relationship because calling is so heavy. Like I'm called to marry, I don't know. But I do think a lot of us have that desire. I'm not demonizing that at all. I do think it's important that we steward it well, um, right? That we don't uh, put that desire somewhere it doesn't belong. And so it's just important for us to hear today that, man, if, if you want to be with someone, that's okay, but as the minute that leads to distrust uh, or, or entitlement or, or like anger with God, wrestle with God on that. Like ask God, hey, why, okay, wait, why, why do I not trust you here? Like what am I so frustrated about? Like what's happening in my heart that this conversation is leading to these tensions? And I know this is hard, but I promise you, I just, I, I'm like a guy that's experienced something great and I'm like a salesman for it. Like you've gotta try it, just trust me. Like it's an investment on the front end to just trust the Lord with this. But I promise you, there is a joy, a peace, a freedom that comes when you just trust God and come alive in him alone. And you lay down to rest that idea that someone completes you, that you're a puzzle that is not quite solved or missing one piece. It's just not true. In Jesus, you are complete. In Jesus, you are complete. In Jesus, you are complete. You are missing nothing. You are good, all right? Um, how this impacts marriage, we're gonna get... A lot less time to this one, all right? Um, this was like a, I think God birthed this uh, in my heart based around singleness. But I also wanna talk about marriage for a little bit. If you fell into the you complete me narrative, you're either living in idolatry because you think they do and they haven't failed that yet, or you're living in despair because you have now realized they do not do that. <laughs> and that's a pretty tough thought to wrestle with, right? So you're living in idolatry because you still think they complete you and that's all you ever needed. Um, or you're living in despair because you figured out that's not what they do, okay? Um, one of the lies that you can believe about marriage is that you'll never be lonely. You probably haven't talked to a lot of married people. Some of the loneliest moments that I've heard, not from experience, right, but I'm about to maybe experience this, I don't know. The loneliest places can be when you love someone so much and you spent so much time with them and still feel unknown by them. It can be some of those isolating feelings. That's just what I've heard from people that I love and love their marriages and they're doing good things, but it can be lonely. Uh, another one is that community is way easier. Not true when you talk to married couples because now you're choosing friends for two people, not just one, right? So you kind of have to have a draft. Like, I like them. No, okay. <laughs> Turns out we were busy that night. I'm so sorry. We will not be there. <laughs> like, you know, um, you know, you get to grow in that, but it's not always easier. I've heard this sentiment that if, man, if all I do is love my spouse and my children for all of my life, I will have lived a good life. And I go, okay, I like the priority there. Don't overlook the people closest to your home. That, like, that scripture says, love them the most. 
But man, you're dreaming small. You're dreaming small. Like the kingdom of God is trying to break through in this world. The ways of Jesus, there is so much brokenness. There are some people that need to know how like good God is. And if the end of your life is to love your spouse and your kids, that's cool, that's noble. I think you dream too small. I think that scripture would point to something different, something higher. Those things would be included, but that would not be the end of that marriage, okay? Scripture says in Matthew 22, 29 through 30, that marriage is temporary and that our souls are eternal. And if that's the case, then marriage should be based around you helping that person step into eternity with no regrets. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says that earthly marriage at its best points to Jesus and his affection and his covenant love for the church. So best case scenario, marriage is a temporary institution that highlights Jesus' great love for his people. That's what marriage can be. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that one day you're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day you're gonna stand before Jesus in all of his magnificence, in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his infinite knowledge and his eternity. And you're gonna need to look back on your life and you're gonna get to take account. And in that moment, when you think about your spouse, you will have hoped that you helped them stand before Jesus confident, thankful. When God says the most important commandment is to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, the minute you choose a spouse, you are pledging your, in the Christian world, okay, you are pledging your allegiance to helping them live into that commandment as best as they can, to live into that commission. When I marry Leah on Saturday, what I'm agreeing to is making her a disciple of Jesus. If I become her God for the next 40 years, man, what a sad story when I stand before Jesus and realize just how deep his grace was, just how beautiful his love was, and I spent all my time just with her in our little house. Man, let's burn the white picket fences down, figuratively. <laughs> spiritual arson, spiritual. <laughs> um, but man, as I'm, as I'm stepping into this with Leah, God, protect me. She does not complete me. I do not complete her. Man, will you help us to help us love the Lord more? Will you challenge us to push, push back on this narrative that has formed us into thinking that Leah is the reason I'm gonna be happy the rest of my life? No, she's a gift. I'm gonna be happy with her. But if you're married, like, man, help your spouse love God. The best thing you can do for your spouse and your kids is disciple people in your kitchen. Best thing you can do. Best thing you can do is meet the needs of the city. Best thing you can do is go and mend brokenness in your city for Jesus. That's the best thing you can do for your spouse and your kids is help them see the heart of God. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Your spouse needs you to do that. And you need to help your spouse do that. That's the point of marriage. Speaking out of ignorance, but from people who are married and have talked to me about it, right? <laughs> Shout out Francis and Lisa Chan and a lot of guys that, and girls at Ethos. So this is our reality, right? That, that one day we're all gonna stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and uh, we'll get to look at our life. And whether you're here and you're single right now um, or you're here and you're dating someone or you're here and you're married, like just understanding that, man, this is all gonna fade. Marriage is temporary, but Jesus is forever and our souls are forever. Man, let's step into eternity well. Let's identify where culture is telling us that we're broken or incomplete or not good enough and let's just cast that out. In the name of Jesus, I know it's not that simple. It's not, a, I mean, it can be. I've had some prayers that have worked that way, but sometimes we gotta work at that. But man, let's just name the lies what they are. They're lies, they're not real. 
And let's just really try to hold on with all we can to truth and community and with the Spirit's help that, like, man, we are completed in Jesus alone. The world has needs now more than ever, right, people that are walking confident in who they are in Jesus. And they're not living lives that communicate to other people, you need this before you can be happy. You need that spouse or you need that car or you need this money. No, no, no. Like, may we be a people that go Jesus alone. Like, that's it. And we will experience that if we'll trust him at his word. Let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say. Um, Yeah, so tensions in this, I mean, it's hard, man. Cultural currents are strong. This is not easy. There's a lot of anxiety here, a lot of fear here, insecurity. My heart was, I'll stay vague because it's gonna be on a podcast, but I was talking to someone about someone else who was dealing with a ton of comparison issues it just broke my heart. Like all the things that that were making them insecure, I was so sad because I just see them and I'm like, this beautiful human, like what in the world? And we live in a culture that just gives us a thousand reasons to be ashamed. Even though our culture is saying, you're good as you are, you're beautiful as you are, we keep breeding like insecurity and anxiety in comparison. (laughs) And Jesus longs to like really redefine where you find your heart, where you get your identity. And so as we go to communion, I just want to invite you to pray, man. And uh, I don't have like any like clean cut. Here's a three-step thing to lean into. But if you want more of these resources that I highlighted, um, come talk to me. I'll, I'll get you those. Um, as you go to communion, um, we've done a thing in the past where we've circled up chairs. Um, today's going to be optional. But if God's stirring some things in you and, and you want to just share, like I sent God telling me this or inviting me into this or he really made me mad when he said that, but it could be true. And circle up your chairs. Talk about it over communion. It can be so helpful to just say things out loud with your mouth. Like when your words actually can utter the thing you don't want to say, it can be really helpful. But if this is a time for you to take communion by yourself, I would just really invite you to pray and reflect on what we talked about today and just ask God, God, where am I, single, dating, married, where am I holding relationship? Is it in the right place? Who is defining who I am? Is it you or something else? And press into that and see what God shows you. Um, Last thing, and then I, yeah, last thing, then I'll pray. If you're dating Keep in mind, like, what marriage is about, what this life is about, and both be intentional, but also, like, chill out, all right? Like, it's cool. Like, they don't complete you. You don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders as you talk to this human. Like, talk to him, flirt, spit game, do your thing, but, like, you're good. Like, steward it well, right? Be intentional, but don't be so over, don't overkill it, all right? Just, it's all good. It's all going to work out. That wasn't helpful. All right. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to get communion, and I'm going to stop while I'm kind of behind. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this word. Um, I believe in the truth of this, God, for, for where we get our identity. Jesus is in you alone. And I don't want to pretend like this is easy, uh, or some of us come in here, and we're like, man, I haven't even walked with God before. I, how am I supposed to do any of this? And God, will you just give us the courage to try? to try new things. Will you give us courage when we're alone to try new things with you, Lord, to talk to you in ways we haven't talked to you, um, to, to spend time with you in ways, to sing to you, to, to listen to whatever it could look like, God? Will you give us community that's healthy, that speaks true narratives into us, and that um, doesn't like continue to peddle the same lie that we're looking, that we're incomplete, we need something? Will you protect us from darkness? Satan is not sympathetic toward our insecurities and our shame. He, he pinpoints them. The enemy pinpoints it, and wants to wreak havoc on us and have us live into some things that hurt us. And will you just protect us, God, and highlight where we're falling into sin because uh, 
this narrative is just in the, the wrong spot that we're, we're believing something that's not true for us. So over communion, God, Holy Spirit, we trust you to move. Yeah, we just bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.